Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, what's up? It's episode 178. Today is August 27th, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today as ever, as always. Not always. You weren't here last time. As but sometimes. As sometimes. Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. There he is. How Absolutely. Good, man. How are you? I'm good. We haven't talked in 21 days. Well, I mean, we talked. I mean, we texted. We haven't talked like this in 21 days. I know. It's the beauty of recording things and releasing them at different times. But then I wasn't here last week, so that was a while. Right. I can't believe it's been 21 days. That seems a little I, odd. It does, doesn't it? Right? Because, yeah. I mean, yeah, when we did the recording for the uh, HFES president-elect candidates, you know, that was that was on the same day. So it was, a, it was a very packed day, and then we had a week off while we released those episodes, and then you were gone last week, and we had Aaron fill in for you. Um, but welcome back to the show. Um I, I always love sitting here and chatting about human factor stuff with you. I'm glad you're back. Uh, we we are going to talk about some news stories this week. Or I guess it's it's like two news stories, but it's really all one thing. Uh, the the Y Combinator Summer 2020 Demo Days uh, TechCrunch has a roundup of of all the startups uh, coming out of there. We picked our favorites and want to talk about them. Um, we have some programming notes here. Uh, last week we talked about the uh, president, or I guess we talked about it just briefly, but those are done in the bag. Um, the winner, I don't think, has been announced yet. The voting closed as of the 24th, so uh, there will be a new HFES president-elect soon. And whenever that's announced, you can go and listen to their interview uh, and learn more about their platform. Um, there you go. So, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, I want to say that the, you weren't here last week. I want to talk about these with you because these are cool. There was uh, the workshops were announced. Have you had a chance to look over this list to see which one uh, like stands out to you? No, I haven't. Are you talking about workshops for HFES? I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I didn't even know they were announced. Yeah, so they include uh, measuring situation awareness in individuals and teams, effectively conducting remote risk assessments, ergonomic certification, who, what, when, where, why, and how, unlocking the potential of in- inertial measurement units uh, for human movement studies, uh, questionnaire design, how to ask the right questions of the right people at the right time to get the information you need, behavioral data analytics of R, home office ergonomic design, and root cause analysis of use errors, and assessment of residual risk. So I told Aaron last time the questionnaire design is something that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, I, I love putting together questionnaires. They feel like I know a lot, but hopefully I'll learn something else from this one. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, definitely the questionnaire one because I love the improvement of methods. Like, because yeah, I don't know. I feel like I always learn something new every like paper I read, book I watch or book I watch, uh, book yeah. that I go through or like even talking from people from different you know domains of business and how they put together questionnaires or user events or any of that kind of stuff it's always really cool but also what what really gets me excited is um some of the data data analytics with r because i i don't know i enjoy working with r and doing some of the data analysis and statistics stuff but also building you know dashboards out of r so it's always kind of fun to learn a little bit more and then this last one like i i don't know the applicability to me and my work um, but I, I've always wanted to know a little bit more about root cause analysis. So this last one talking about use errors and assessment of re- residual risk, that would be really cool to see how root cause analysis is actually applied. Um, so that's a serious set of 
workshops and it's nicely divided between like human factors applied stuff and ergonomic stuff as well it's awesome yeah it looks like they're really stepping out to do kind of more uh balance and and i feel like a lot of these are really applied and that's kind of like uh, at least some of our criticism uh in those interviews was is, you know where's the applied stuff and it feels like a lot of this is applied so uh good on them uh but blake i mentioned at the top of the show it's been 21 days what have you been up to man I, I can't even think of like how it's been 21 days. It doesn't make any sense to me. I think time, still yeah. in like COVID time land. Is weird. Yeah, the world's just kind of like blending together. It just feels like every day is one long day. Um, but I don't know. Things have been pretty good. Um, I started trying to learn how to surf over the weekend, like taking advantage of the fact that it was so hot. So that meant that you could actually get in the Pacific Ocean without it being, you know, freezing. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And it was hilarious for Elise to watch me fall a bunch and me do the same for her uh let's see other things that i've been really doing i've been focusing a lot on software development recently and that's been an interesting foray and so it was it's been cool to kind of do a bunch of different things like playing drums or trying to surf or learning software development more intensely and like seeing how it's it's kind of fun to suck at things because you can watch the progress happen so fast uh, so that's been that's really been my focus probably for the last you know few months, but definitely really honing it in the last two months, like trying trying a bunch of different stuff and trying to get better at things I've always wanted to do. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where where I've been or what I've been doing. How about you, man? It, I, I I don't even understand what you could have done in 21 days. You probably have built the entire, you know, Star Wars simulation thing in your house now. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. I, I totally just have the entire room planned out and, and, and built. No. Uh, so I talked with Aaron last week. Uh, I've started a, a, a kind of sub hobby of like 3d scanning. I talked about that on last week's show. show so go listen to that. If you want to find out sort of my woes with that, there was another thing that happened recently that uh, I, I did not talk about on last week's show. Wanted to talk about it with you because it involves two things, uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator and computer troubles. So let me go through this. So I am very excited about Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 uh, to the point where I was convincing myself that, you know, I can learn how to fly a plane because, I mean, it's everything's in there, right? It, it is effectively going to teach you how to fly a plane. There you go. Um, now, the, the, the more exciting piece of it to me is that it utilizes Bing Maps – and say what you want about Bing, but it actually brings in Bing Maps and uh, applies an AI layer on top of that to procedurally generate the entire world. You can fly anywhere in the world, and it will procedurally generate it based on Bing Maps. Now, to do this, there's a couple things that happen. There's a lot of information that gets processed on your side, but then it also streams information from the Internet, and the streaming from the Internet increases the graphical quality while you're in the cockpit. And, you know, some things are more important to me. The, the, the environment is way more important because in my future setup, there will be no, uh, you know, I'll be inside a cockpit. And so it's like, I don't need that piece of it. But, you know, so the, the environment's very important. Um, I have a decent laptop that I purchased, uh, what, a year and a half or so ago um, that can't run this thing. Oh, and no. The, the, the reason is that, one, the graphical fidelity that this game requires to look good uh, is quite a bit, right? It's it's a true next-generation graphical uh, quality game. And the second piece of it is because I can't figure out... There's two graphics cards on my machine 
where, um, you know, I think there's an Intel and an NVIDIA. And if you're plugged into the wrong one, what will happen is the Intel will go and not the super high-powered Intel one will go. Or, sorry, the high-powered high NVIDIA won't go. And so you're processing with this crap card and not the good card. And I think that's what's making the graphical quality on mine not great. However, I learned there's a thing where if you're, you know, pulling from the Intel, you can still have the graphical NVIDIA processing and it pushes it to the Intel to push it out. And I can't figure that out. And I feel like that should just happen automatically. And it, sh it does in most cases. However, I must have messed with some BIOS settings or something on my computer where I can't get that to work. In fact, I tried with other games and I can't get any of the like games that require uh, you know, a powerhouse to actually work. Um, and it comes down to not using the HDMI that's built into the NVIDIA card that's on the side, which is fine. I'm using a USB-C cable to plug into my monitors. Anyway, my whole point with this is that it's very annoying to try to get this game to work. Uh, I tried everything, and I've reset my computer several times to, like, try to get this right, and it just won't work. So what that ultimately means, Blake, is that I'm going to have to start piecemealing together a more powerful machine over the next couple months. Oh, there you go. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I'm look. I, so I, I had, I didn't really know that like 2020 Simulator came out or was coming out, and so I watched like a video in the background while you were talking, and holy cow, man, this shit looks amazing. It does. It's truly next generation like imagery. Like if, if you haven't, seen, you can fly anywhere in the world, and it's procedurally yeah. generated based on Bing Mac, Bing Maps, and that's so exciting to me. Um, it's pretty incredible looking. Holy cow, dude. Yeah, I mean, so I, that would make anybody that sees it, I'm sure, wants to build a machine just so they can fly planes. Because this is, it just looks so cool. And, I mean, the ability to, like, even the, the cockpit controls and whatnot, like, them all being basically configured for the aircraft that you're flying. Wow. I mean, nuts. Yeah. It's so really Time neat. to build that machine, it sounds like. Can I can I tell you about my grand plan? Yeah. Let's whenever have we, it. <laughs> whenever we move into a house permanently... Um, we are, so I'm, I'm going to build a cockpit that's like Star Wars theme. Like, so you're like inside the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, although it's not the Millennium Falcon, it'll be my own ship of my own design, but Star Wars inspired, right? With a dual projector setup that spans 180 degrees. Uh, and then I'll be able to launch things like Microsoft Flight Simulator. So you'll be able to fly above Earth in your own Star Wars cockpit you know, and you That'd can be so wild. Bring people in, and it's got the butt kicker speakers in there, so it's, things are rumbling, and you actually feel like you're flying over there. It's gonna be awesome. It's it gonna be very like cool. It. It's just out of this world, literally. I can't get there until Microsoft Flight Simulator works. You know, there's other things that I can do, like play Star Wars Squadrons when it comes out in October in that type of environment, right? And that will fit more accurately. But to me, it's so cool to like just think about taking off from your house. Because you can literally set yourself in the air from anywhere and be like, yeah, I had autopilot just take us up a couple hundred feet. Look, you can look right out the window and there's where we just were um, at my house, right? And so that's my grand plan. Anyway, I've gone on way too long about that. Um, very excited about it. Although, you know, I just wanted to talk about sort of the human factors of trying to deal with things that just should automatically happen. And I don't understand because they've updated all the drivers and it's just, it's annoying. Um, but we'll get there. We'll get there. One day. One day. We'll get there. All right. Yeah, well, that's too bad that like the drivers didn't fix it. But you know they, that that kind of happens. But it, yeah, it sounds like you would, you'd probably want like something built to be able to handle this kind of stuff anyway, because you're probably not going to get the fidelity you want out of I, it. Yeah, 
and and I'm gonna make a tailor-made machine for this type of thing, right? Where it can handle dual projection, and where it, really that's the only purpose is to to play that kind of thing in that environment. Um, so it can you know skimp on some other parts and and um, spend more money on other parts like the graphics card and stuff like that. Yeah, or projectors instead of monitors. So uh, anyway, yeah, I think that's that's enough of my computer woes. Why don't we go ahead and get into this next part of the show? That's right. This is the part of the show all about Human Factors News. This is where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community... No, that's not the community. This is uh, related to the field of Human Factors. I'm skipping ahead here, Blake. It's been a long week. Uh, (laughs) No, this could be anything. Uh, And we got a lot of different categories in there this week. I think a lot of it ties back to Human Factors. As long as it relates to the field of Human Factors, it's fair game for us to talk about. Now, Blake, this is normally the part of the show where I toss it over to you to read like a little blurb about what's going on. But we're doing something a little different today. So uh, this is, uh, I'll just go ahead and get us into it. These are, uh, so Y Combinator had their summer 2020 demo days. um, And uh, TechCrunch has provided a great sort of recap of all the different, uh, all the different startups that attended and, and, you know, kind of what they're about. So what Blake and I have done is we've gone through and identified eh, five to 10 uh, each. And and we kind of have... Uh, our list, our picks, if you will, from from these, I think it ended up being just under 200 companies uh, and 200 um, startups, I guess, that that are are doing stuff. So, so Blake, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what do you What do you got? We'll kind of just alternate here. What do you What do you got on your first pick? What do you got? Uh, so, okay, so first pick. Uh, I didn't really do these in any order, to be completely honest. That's fine. Uh, so one that I had. Uh, so you'll see a trend of mine. Of course, I think every time we do this, I do the same thing. I go for like the medical technology companies. Um, and one of them is Life or L-I-Y-F-E. So it's a, it's building Lee a tele... Life. Yeah, Life. There we go. So it's uh, it's building a telemedicine platform for breast cancer patients to communicate with oncologists and cancer professionals from their comfort of their own home. Um, it's somebody who knows or has a family member that's gone through not necessarily breast cancer, but lung cancer and knowing kind of the, the pains of going through a bunch of different doctor's appointments and some of the stress that that caused. I could imagine a telemedicine platform like this could be super helpful for just communicating with some of your doctors, especially the ones that are focused on cancer. Um, and I could imagine the back and forth would be really helpful both for the patient and the doctor. So I'm really excited to see like what this platform ultimately has to offer. Yeah, I think that's a that's a larger trend. Um, just kind of speaking across all these startups is is this telepresence uh, or, or telemedicine, tele remote everything. Really, yeah, is what lots we're of seeing. video stuff. Yeah, lots of video stuff, lots of uh, communication enhancers or or ways to kind of disrupt the the way that we communicate virtually, which I like. Uh, and this is just one more way um, to kind of do that very tailored uh you know communication between experts and the patients right absolutely yeah yeah that that was an interesting trend like this whole thing was basically heavy data analytics and different types of communication tools it was really an interesting kind of you know sub 200 companies to look through yeah i was going to get into themes a little later but you know it fit right now um okay let me let me get into my first pick here um so i think Let's see. I'll, I'll just go down my list so I can just cross them off as we go. The first one I had was Hello Meter, uh, and this one uses off-the-shelf cameras 
uh, presumably security cams, to help fast food restaurant owners analyze how quickly customers are being served. Uh, they're testing in two locations with letters of intent to test in 300 more. So this wow. is exciting for me, and this is the reason why... Well, I, I mean, it's not exciting to me personally, but... Um, I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, chomping at the bit to get more people into fast food. But this is interesting for a variety of reasons, right? Um, fast food, the industry itself is, uh, is uh, you know, that they pride themselves on being fast. And sometimes, how many, like, there's definitely been an instance where you've been through a drive through and it's been like, you know, 40 Forever. minutes. Forever. <laughs> I'm looking at yeah. you in and out. Uh, and so it's like... <laughs> yes. Um, what are they doing in there? Why does it take so long? They're making their own French fries. That's why. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the interesting thing to me about this is that once you have that data, there are potential steps in which you can, um, you know, sort of provide interventions to help provi- provide a faster service. Now, the thing I'm not excited, uh, the thing I'm excited about is not necessarily the fast food application. But if you have something like this, that's being trialed in fast food that then later moves on to other domains, that is where it starts getting really exciting for me. Obviously, yeah. there's, um, you know, intent behind this is to get more money through the door. Like, if you if you could perform analytics and say, okay, one more staff member flipping burgers will get, you know, X more people through in an hour, um, or vice versa. Hey, let's cut a person during these hours of the day because there's simply not enough business during that time regularly. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a calculated risk that we can remove a person here. So I, it's, it's money. But if you think about other applications, like what happens when this is in a hospital? What happens when this is uh, in schools? What happens when this is in, um, you know, other potential areas? Like I, we've talked about it on the show before, uh, public transportation. So there are other applications of this type of thing for using cameras for data analysis that are are really interesting to me. Absolutely. Yeah. The hospital one is interesting because it could be, yeah, I mean, you could, or you could use it the same way in the hospital setting, right? I lost your audio. To actually, you know, monitor and understand, you know, where you can, where there are inefficiencies inside the hospital in terms of like people moving around or people going in and out of hospital rooms, that kind of stuff. It could be really interesting in how you, how you, you know, put shift management together or even just from patient monitoring, like using kind of like, I know facial recognition is very much like in in the beginning. Um, but I could imagine like full, full capture video recognition of understanding of like people's vital signs and also like different movements they're making. Or if you're like trying, if you've got a patient who's trying to leave the room when they shouldn't be walking at all, there's just a lot of really cool possibilities with something like this. And I think, I think it's a cool choice to start with, you know, the fast food industry, just because it's somewhere where there's a lot of high traffic and you can kind of get the, the analytics behind the tools really set and down to help make, you know, better decisions and stuff like that. Yeah. To me also in the hospital setting, you could, I can very much, uh, see like racial bias being something that is detected when, you know, person a who is, uh, black and and then person B who's white, you know, person B gets like twice the amount of time spent with a doctor in their room that could highlight racial bias in the medical system, and hopefully we can do something about it. Right? That that's also another way down the line application that you know we can see from this fast food <laughs> fast food cameras. Um, 
All right, what do you got next? All right, this one I'm really stoked on because I think it's going to bring a lot of cool technology afterwards. Um, but anyway, so this is called Vena Vitals. So this is a wearable sticker that allows you allows consumers to monitor your blood pressure continuously. So it's a replacement for needles at a fraction of the cost and cl- with the same clinical accuracy. Um, so the company is obviously starting in this clinical route, but they want to become like the standard blood monitoring and managing for consumers and hospitals over time. So Nick, we I, you've probably heard me talk about this a bunch on the show. Like I'm really interested in biometrics of all kinds and this kind of stuff that's getting much more detailed in terms of, in this case, like blood, potentially like blood pressure um, or something that's simple and like a sticky wearable that I could use as a easy glucose monitor. Like just that type of technology, I think has such a great place in the, like in where we are today, where it's like, if you, if you can't get to the doctors frequently, um, great. We'll put this thing on you and it'll monitor both your, your vitals and potentially even medication you're taking. So it's the world of like wearable stickers for the med technology just has a really, really big draw to me in terms of how easy it makes it for doctors to understand what's going on with their patients, but also to understand what's going on with yourself. I can imagine you know, having like a Fitbit style dashboard for something like this to let me see trends of when I did a workout yesterday, was it too much and did it impact me today uh, in terms of my blood pressure? Just that kind of fun stuff. So I'm, I'm excited for how this kind of impacts the market as a whole for wearables. Yeah, for sure. Can I can I be fully honest with you? I had two lists. I know we said five to ten, but I actually had an extended list that I think was like 17 or 18. Um, and this was on that extended list, and I thought maybe you would bring it in. Uh, and I'm glad you did because this one's really cool to me. I think, you know, this, this is especially helpful in situations where, um, maybe there's a child who is afraid of needles and, you know, it's like, it can just help ease that already, um, anxiety that sort of accompanies these hospital trips. And so, uh, yeah, I agree, you know, for consumer use, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about this in, in like a, uh, a medical environment, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You could absolutely use this in, in a, uh, personal use as well. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited about this technology as well. Um, I, I, I feel like we should just keep trucking along here. What do you think? Do you have any other, yeah. anything else? Okay. Let's Let me, do it. All right, let's let's move into the next one. We got we got a lot, so I want to make sure that we cover them all. Um, the next one I have here is Artifact. Uh, this one is, um, you know, the the kind of little blurb here. Everyone has people and events they'd like to preserve forever. Artifact aids in the creation of a personal podcast in which a professional interviewer speaks with someone like your grandparents to get their stories on the record, so your grandkids can listen to it without hearing your dog bark in the background. Yeah, so this is a really cool concept. Uh, the, the idea of being able to preserve, you know, these stories uh, uh, with a professional interviewer there—that's really cool to me. What do you think? It's so wild, man. Like, there's so there's a bunch of like family members I have that I never got to meet. And could you imagine like somebody you never met sharing, you know, experiences with you or like sending you some personal podcast like based off of an interviewer? Um, like, I don't know, it could have been like their last moments of life or something like that, or last days of life. I mean, it could have, it could really have a lot of impact for sure. And you could feel like closer to some of your family members that maybe you never even met or the ones that you have met. Uh, so that's a, that's a pretty awesome idea. Um, and I'm kind of surprised nobody's thought of it before. So this is really sweet. You know, it can also open up a lot of uh, eyes as well, you know, like, 
Oh, shoot. I didn't realize you were that type of person. And then, like, I almost feel like memory might be preserved better in memory and not necessarily in audio format. But who knows? Who knows? That's this true, might be yeah. Very beneficial for some. And for others, you learn that your your grandparents were a racist. So, I mean, you know what? It's a, uh, what is it, glass, glass half empty? Yeah, glass half something. <laughs> All right, man. What what other ones did you have? All right. So, next one up I had is uh, Osmind or Osmind. Uh, so millions of Americans, as we know, suffer from mental disorders that, that psychiatric treatments and psychological, psychological treatments don't always address. Uh, so while experimental treatments have been developed, they're not being delivered or tr- effectively tracked in terms of how well they do, how well they perform, are they getting to the people that need them? Um, and thanks to barriers that exist that currently exist in like practice management or reimbursement or data collection and distribution to pharmaceutical companies or insurance companies, it makes it so much harder to get that kind of data to the appropriate people so you can develop better treatments, get more get treatments to more people. So like we talked about a little bit before, this is a company that's focusing on kind of the analytic side of things from the medical data perspective. Uh, So they want to actually take project or this practice management side of the treatments, uh, treatments for psych for (laughs) mental health issues and use monitoring software to actually help mental health professionals deliver care to different populations that are most in need. So basically taking a lot of these anonymized insights for pharma and insurance companies to ensure they know what treatments are effective and what they can and can't offer to their uh, consumers. So really this is just a, a, a giant data ag- aggregator that's trying to find better ways to communicate. Hey, there's a lot of different opportunities for uh, different mental health treatments that pr- maybe professionals don't know of or don't know the eff- efficacy of. And so proposing them to consumers can be very tough, much less, you know, getting pharma or insurance companies involved to try and help develop solutions around them. So these guys are looking to try and actually, you know, consolidate some of that information and make it available more so for not just your consumer base, but like professionals and then the pharmaceutical companies as well. Yeah, I I love data aggregators. And this is just one more application I think that is desperately needed, Um, especially right now when I think we talked about it on the show a couple of weeks ago where sort of mental health uh, can be uh, taxed during, you know, extended periods of stay at home. Um, and so, I, yeah, I'm excited to see this stuff. Um, I'm going to talk about my next one here. Um, and we talked about this kind of thematically at the top here, but uh, the next one I have is Rally. Uh, and this is uh, during the pandemic. Zoom has turned out to be a necessary tool for web users trying to stay in touch with friends. Zoom was built for enterprise. Rally is aiming to create a video chat platform built for social gatherings. Uh, the app has shifted the idea of a breakout room aiming to replicate uh, the experience sparking up side conversations by allowing you to faintly overhear some of the conversation happening nearby. So I thought this was very relevant to what we were talking about a couple weeks ago with how to do conferences. Um, and and to me, this is a very interesting uh, uh, take on it, right? Because we were talking about how do you do these social gatherings in a virtual environment and the the biggest hurdle right now is if you have a breakout room, you're missing what's going on in the other one. And to, to faintly overhear what's going on in the other rooms kind of solves that problem. I'm curious to see how this actually plays out. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting. It definitely seems like taking the step in the exact direction we were talking about it, like, like 
how do you actually have side conversations or how do you kind of, you know, approach different people having conversations? Well, if you overheard something and like had something meaningful to add to the conversation, I mean, that's a great way to hop in. Right. Um, are, Blake, I have more than you. Should I just start like doing two to your one? Is that? Oh, uh, you could. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So I'm going to get into this next one here. Uh, another social one. Uh, this one's called start playing dot games. Uh, this is a marketplace for hiring hosts of social tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons. DMs for Hire, that's Dungeon Masters, uh, meant to help new players learn to play or help existing players find experienced hosts. Hosts set their own price, currently seeking uh, seeing a GMV of over 10000 per month. So this is awesome because it's like, it's like on demand, uh, you know... It, it's always hard to find somebody who understands the game intimately enough uh, to know the rules, but also um, I, charismatic enough to guide a group of people through a scenario. I don't know if you've ever played D anD. d Have you ever played D anD. d I have not. Okay, so it's a it's it's much more of a social hangout than it is a um, than it is a game. And some people obviously play it the way you, it's some people. It's very much a game to some people. But I've always seen it as kind of a social hangout, and um, the the weird thing with this is that I, you know, I have a close relationship with all the DMs I've ever had in a Dungeons and Dragons game, and um, it's it's weird, it, and I can see this working in like a one shot where like nobody really wants to DM. DMing has a very special role, and if you're unfamiliar with it, DMing is like. Basically, you are setting the stage for everything. You are playing the enemies. You are trying to guide the players through a story. Um, you know, and and some uh, you know a lot of a lot of people have fun with it, but a lot of people just want to play the game and role play. And so it's it's uh, I don't know. It's cool. It's cool. I'll leave it at that. It's cool. If you know D and D, you know. But <laughs> it sounds wild. Yeah, and I've always wanted to play D and D, so this might be a way to actually get uh, an intro to it. We can do a one shot with a with a um, start playing games host. Uh, yes. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do one more before we jump back into your list. Do it. Uh, Layer is a developer tool that creates staging environments quickly, so that developers can immediately see, compare, and share the impact of code changes. The startup notes that its service allows developers at smaller companies to have access to a similar workflow as the major tech companies of the world. Uh, so, Blake, I thought this one might be uh, relevant that to your interests. So <laughs> sick! Oh my goodness, because I could only imagine you have to like set up like uh, what do you call it? Separate staging environments through something like Docker that allows you to have a bunch of containers like this to see code changes and not like push something that's going to break everything when you push it. So this sounds really cool because like some of those things are really expensive, but they're also very complicated. So if, if layer can really strike a balance between those two things, that's amazing. Yeah. I thought you might like that one. All right. Well, why, why don't we get back to your list? All right. So this one I'm, I'm kind of excited about because I'm really interested in kind of the, the integration of what do you call it? AI, but more so robotics into the workplace. Uh, so this is called NextTerra Workforce. So NextTerra, they're building a software platform to help factories integrate robotics into their processes in days instead of taking months to do so. So this platform is focused on the deployment and monitoring and tech support to help optimize robot rollouts in, in different industries. Uh, but it looks like some of the early customers, believe it or not, is Dunkin' Donuts and also Tesla. 
Uh, so there's going to be a lot of like kind of different interesting AI and cybersecurity challenges that come with stuff like this. But it, it's kind of incredible because we've, we've talked a bunch of times, Nick, on the show about like robotics in the workplace or like some of the more industrial use of robotics. But I've really never thought about the fact that it probably takes, you know, months to get some of that stuff set up. And by do- taking some of that work out of it, you could like you could have just an entire factory floor ready to go in a matter of days. It sounds like. Yeah, that's that's a great application, you know. And I th- I think, um, especially when we see these large efforts to mobilize, um, you know, in the days of pandemics, uh, there there can be a large effort to mobilize, especially when there's a, a new outbreak, right? And so I think if you were to have sort of a, a optimized deployment with AI, um, you know, I think that's that'd be great for like these pop-up hospitals or something you know you could be ready to go and it'd be good to go um all right i'm gonna jump back to my list here i got phonic uh and this one's this one has a direct human factors uh application here phonic they say surveys are useful for a million reasons but the text-based online surveys we're all familiar with haven't changed much in 20 years Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Leaving them open to manipulation and fraud. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the application, right? Phonic avoids this by using audio and video responses rather than text or buttons. And the company says this triples response quality and he- helps eliminate fraud and joke responses. Um, so the, the media are automatically ingested and summarized using machine learning. So no, you don't have to watch and listen to all of them. That's awesome. Yeah, this is cool. This is just a new. Uh, we talked about the the questionnaires uh, workshop at the top. Felt like this was a good tie-in, right? This it's is just another such way. Such a good tie-in. Just oh, another way of, of gathering that data. Yeah, and like imagine if you even did a small sample size, right? And you could you like you could manageably listen to the stuff. You could you could gather like inflection and stuff like that from people. It'd be nuts. Yeah, so much more like valuable data in that case. Yeah, and if you have yeah something analyzing it behind the scenes, um, Blake, are are you going to dip into my extended list at all, or is that is that your list there? Uh, I can dip into it. Okay, well, why don't you get into your last one, and then we can just start talking. We can pick at these uh, at the, <laughs> these remainders, the, the leftovers. Yeah, yeah. This was more of a fun one because of the analogy they made, and then it kind of really drew drew me in. But so this is a software application called Backlot. So it, think of it as kind of if you're a designer out there and you've heard or using Figma, which is an online cloud-based design tool uh, that's really great for collaboration, building prototypes, working with developers. Uh, so think of that, but for making 3D films and filmmakers. So that's what Backlog is really boasting itself as. So it's, it's basically an online cloud computing tool that allows you to render 3D film um, enabling basically production suites that allow you to mitigate a lot of risk of having to, you know, have people in house use a bunch of different pieces of software. I just thought it was a really awesome kind of, uh, kind of step for, I guess, filmmaking in that you could do a lot of like collaborative film editing and creation online, um, for a pretty hefty cost. Uh, but it sounds like a pretty awesome experience for sure. Yeah, the U.S.'s number one export is entertainment. So, uh, you know, that'll go a long way to help us with that export (laughs) quota. Do it! Um, All right, going back to my list here. And if you you look through some of my leftovers or through the rest of this list and you want to talk about anything, um, jump in as we transition to the next ones. But uh, the next one I have up here is Quell. Uh, This is, they're eyeing um, 
an 18 billion market opportunity in the immersive fitness gaming market. So this is something both you and I are probably interested in. Um, the startup uses resistance bands to help players get fit while fighting their way through a virtual fitness world. It coins itself as a uh, Peloton meets gaming and charges a monthly fee to keep content fresh. So this is <laughs> this reminds me a lot of Ring Fit Adventure. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because I was watching like the little gif they have for this, and it it reminded me of that. Yeah, it it definitely does feel that way. Um, but I thought this was neat. Um, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, always, always down for those VE stuff. Uh, okay. Next, uh, Pie Packer. Um, this one's another gaming one. Uh, but so we can play games together. We can video chat. But it's not actually that easy to play games together and video chat. Pie Packer combines video with a collection of licensed popular retro style games that play that friends can play together easily it's simpler than putting together a discord group but more interactive than just streaming um so this is this is pretty cool it's like a if if you want to stream with your buddies you can actually see their face while you uh play a game so i think that's that's ultimately what that's coming down to um i feel like we're getting to the bottom of the barrel here so i'm just going to go through the last two I have, and then if there's any on that that leftover list that you want to talk about, Blake, let's do it. So uh, next one up here is Daybreak Health. Um, this one's online counseling to teenagers. Uh, so very similar kind of to the, the other one we talked about earlier uh, that was kind of focused on cancer. This one's focused on um, spe- teen specialized therapists. Uh, so this is, you know, communicates with parents to help figure out a plan for online counseling um and so i just thought this was a a very uh a very good application of of sort of these these uh teletherapist uh type applications right i mean i feel like the teenage population is largely ignored or the resources that they have available aren't great um and so i i like to see stuff like this yeah and i mean it's it's really great to see it now because i mean a lot of people or most teenagers probably have phones as well so it'd be easy just to open up an application or open up a browser window and talk to somebody um yeah so it's, it's awesome both for the technology aspect but also for you know meeting a an obvious need yeah and the last one here i have is is hot plate and this is a service that helps unemployed chefs cook from home uh, sell it and deliver it. Um, and so, the, you know, it's if you imagine a world where COVID rules, where, you know, you're here in the States, yes, it does, um, despite what other people might tell you. Um, it's uh, so, so Hot Plate will take a 15% of that cut, but, you know, it, it would be amazing to be able to support people like this and get a home cooked meal at the same time. Like, you know, I, I think that's awesome. Um, obviously, here in the States, it's, uh, a little difficult to cause I'm sure there's issues with like getting a restaurant rating, um, you know, for, for like their own personal kitchen. Yeah. So well, I don't know. It depends. Right. Uh, I don't know. Cause there's like, there, there, the rules no, there's that. a lot, there's a lot of good or really good chefs or whatever that kind of do something similar. Or I've heard of, I've heard of an idea like this before. Um, now, whether the application that used right. used to do this failed, it, that makes me think it did. Um, <laughs> there was an Instagram account, by the way, a couple weeks ago that was just selling pizza, um, like homemade pizza here in San Diego. Yes! <laughs> so, That's amazing. I don't know. Take that as you will. All right. So that I made it through my list. You made it through your list. Are there any others on my kind of overflow list that you want to talk about here? 
I just want people to get excited about this clue thing. Because I don't know about you, Nick, but I do have like one too many damn platform accounts and I get or cloud platform accounts and I get so sick of having to try and like log into each one, grab stuff that I need only to transfer it to another one. Um, so Clue is actually looking to help be the middleman for a lot of that stuff and streamline all your cloud applications into a single platform so that you could basically access all your files from one place instead of like five. Um, so I think that's a that's a cool like workflow type one. Yeah. So you have like Google Drive and Dropbox, and this clue would be you just drag one from the other, and you're good. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think any other ones. I think that's kind of it, man. Yeah. There was a lot of cool ones in this whole thing, but there, I, again, lots of like data analysis and lots of communication tools. Very yeah, interesting. There certainly were a lot of really cool themes coming out of this. So if you haven't got a chance, please go check out these uh, links. We'll put them in the description of this episode. Uh, and before we continue, I just want to thank all of our friends over at TechCrunch for our news stories this week. If you want to follow along, we do post those links to the original articles in our Slack uh, so you can find them. So join us over there for more discussion on these. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, and we're back. Yes, our Patreon has it all. I do want to talk about our Patreon. We do have a promotion going on right now. It's nothing super special, but it's kind of fun. Uh, you'll get a personalized uh, video message from us if you do sign up for uh, a certain tier. I think it's a $10 tier. If you're signed up for that, you'll get a uh, personalized message from us Thank you, thanking you for becoming a patron. So if that's something you're into. Um, there's also other <laughs> things that you get for being a $10 uh, Patreon supporter. You get a free tote bag, uh, which... Um, you can tote things. You can tote tote things around. It looks cool. You can support the show uh, wherever you go. Uh, we do have kind of a fresh new look over there at Patreon, so please go check that out. And we're always kind of updating our rewards to make sure that they are uh, good uh, value for you because you're helping helping support this show, keeping the lights on over here at Human Factors Cast. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Let's let's just move on. All right, we're gonna switch gears here and get to it came from Reddit. It came from. It came from. That's right. This is the part of the show. Uh, it came from Reddit. Yeah, is, I messed up that intro. That's okay. Where we talk about search and all over. Wow, this is bad. Let's start over. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics. The community's talking about. Blake is dying over there. We got time for both of these. So why don't we just go ahead and attack them here? Um, since Let's I read go. the news story, why, and I, you, I usually read the Reddit. Why don't you read the Reddit this time? Oh, I see what you're doing here. Yes. Okay, I can read the Reddit. <laughs> All right. So this first one comes from 
the user experience subreddit, I hope. Yeah. And it's user Darren Philip Jones. Well, Darren Philip Jones, he wants to know, how do you navigate UX books without excessive overlapping information? So Darren Philip Jones continues... So curious how you're supposed to navigate UX books without excessive overlap. I know the topic of what should I read next is beaten to death, and I'm not sh- I'm not here to ask what I should read next. I'm not against suggestions, but anyway, I'm more concerned about the idea of why to read next. Whenever I hit up reviews, it's always the same. If you have read the design of everyday things, maybe 5% of the books of of this book's content is new for you. Or if you have a firm grasp of the foundation of UX, this book is the same information with different language. And then you end up paying this $30, $50 just to get a 5% shift in perspective is a hard pill for me to want to swallow. Do you find it better to switch topics like jump from statistics or something? Uh, Example I've seen suggested a lot is the art of statistics. Or do you find it fruitful to keep reading new but this but very similar ux content so this this is an interesting problem that i haven't had seen a lot of people like call out specifically and i'm glad that it is called out here because uh, i do think that we tend to run into a lot of books whether it's like human factors or ux related stuff you get a lot of the same principles and information and that's because there's i think at least and nick you can weigh in on this for sure but i think a lot of it is because it's based off of you know in some cases scientific principles and methods that are very well established and it's like you know that five percent of different information is a different person's take on how to use it or when to use it or what situation things work really well um this guy uh darren philip jones you make a comment in here about should i jump to different topics and i think that's the best way to go if you find that in reality, the books you're picking up related to UX in this case are all basically the same. Go read different books. Read like the Blue Ocean Shift or read, you know, stuff about like self-help. You'll find a lot of different inf- ways to kind of apply what you're learning um, from different sources. So try reading different things. Uh, Artist Statistics is a great book. Try picking up development books or try reading stuff that's a little bit, you know, more so in the business realm of things. And you'll find ways to apply UX content there. Uh, but Nick, what do you think? I mean, do you find when you read a lot of human factors literature that there's a lot of overlap, or do you gain a lot every time you read a new paper or a new book? The first one, there's so much overlap. Uh, and the way I've started to getting around this is by reading books outside of our domain. And the reason I do this is because a lot of times we kind of know the principles that make a good system, a good display. We know those inherently because of our training. The things that are not so apparent are how do you approach a problem that you might not have encountered in your training? How do you adapt to make sure that the content uh, or, or to make sure that the way that you're approaching this problem is is tailored for the thing that you're working on? Now, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago when I talked about like reading other books uh, in terms of creativity, right? Like Adam Savage's Every Tool's a Hammer and applying that to human factors. Um, I think that to me is where I find the most excitement is how can I read a book from another domain and apply that finding, apply that process, apply something from that to where I'm at now. Um, and that's always very exciting to me. Um, I, yes, I agree. I think a lot of this content is this is samey. Um, and a lot of people are trying to make a buck off books and that's fine. Uh, and, you know, there's something to be said for what resonates with you, right? If you read a book 
and the material just goes right over your head because the author is not doing a good job of explaining it in terms that you understand, um, then maybe try a different book. But if you know if you are finding yourself kind of getting the same information from multiple books, it's like yeah, I get it. Uh, maybe jump outside your uh, comfort zone. Um, you know, like I can recommend a couple that are outside of human factors domains. Like I just mentioned, uh, every book's a hammer by Adam Savage. Uh, there's algorithms to live by. Um, there's uh, the the oh shoot, I'm blanking on the name, but it's the one with the the Navy SEAL that has the Art of War. I think it is something like that. Oh yeah, you know which one I'm talking about. But, I know what you're talking. You know, about, I'll yeah. find I'll find the link and put it uh, in the description here. But the the point is, you look outside your domain and try to apply some of that knowledge to where you're at, because it might just work for what you're doing. Um, and that also can kind of keeps things fresh too. You might you know rotate throughout domains, like you might read an astronomy book one time uh, and then come back to an astronomy book after you've read a bunch of different domains. And, you know, it still seems new to you because you don't absorb that much information outside of your domain unless it's a hobby, right? If you're an astronomer, then, you know, you'd absorb more. But you get my point is that you're going to take in more from uh, other um, domains than you might from the homogenous, you know, pile of books that you get in the same domain. I don't know. That's that's kind of my two cents there. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the more stuff you read from other domains, you may even like understand how to approach a problem differently because you read about, you know, something in physics that, you know, it's a, it's a unique problem that nobody wants to approach. Well, maybe there's one in UX or one in human factors that you can apply some of the same methods to. Right. Um, but yeah. So anything else on for, uh, what was it? Darren Philip Jones. If you do find yourself reading a book that feels pretty samey, um, just skim it. And see see if you can pull out anything new from it. Um, all right, you you read one. I'll read this next one here. Um, so for those of you who design sprints, when do you do traditional user research? This is by user Bubba Nado Nadio Nadep Bubba Nadep. Nadep. Yeah, it looked like an O to me. Bubba Nadep from the user experience subreddit. Um, uh, so you know. Some user on this subreddit seems to suggest that the sprint is your research, or sorry, AJ and Smart here seems to suggest that the sprint is your research, but I don't necessarily trust them because their whole business model is running sprints and selling learning on them. Um, Jake Knapp uh, kind of says the same thing, but once again, his product is the sprint. As someone who follows Alan Cooper's and Kim Goodwin's methods, uh, showing an early prototype to five users doesn't const- uh, constitute enough research in my eyes. It can help out a lot for sure. But there's so much to learn to bring value to a product. I guess you could argue that you should be running multiple sprints and that's how you get further research. I think sprints are valuable, especially in galvanizing your team around research goals, etc. But it's just a method. For those of you who do both traditional research and sprints, what does your process look like? Blake, have you encountered yes. this? Yes, and so this is something that I think is a it's a super valuable method. Uh, I don't know AJ and Smart. Um, I haven't really heard of them, but I know Jake Knapp. And like something to keep in mind like uh, yes he's written a few books about the sprint method and it's very popularized and a, a lot of the reason why it works is because he uses it he works with google which they're dealing with products that have already had a lot of user experience research done and put into them and they're doing you know feature improvements and updates and stuff like that so these two-week testing sprints work really really well to do stuff fast and fail quickly um but 
when you I think you have to take kind of a modified approach if you're working in a company that's not really focused on, you know, a singular product and making updates to it or a singular suite of products and you're making updates to it. Um, I think this that is when this process works best, this two-week sprint and test with five users and make like really radical pivoting decisions. Often I think the there it's better to do a lot of this stuff in phases if you have the time to do, you know, X amount of time of actual upfront user research, especially if you're starting a brand new project, you should. And then from there, it's good to kind of, once you understand the the basic population, the problem statement a lot more and kind of got a sense of what you can and can't design for, then putting a sprint method in place can really help. Um, but like anything else, UX or human factors related, it's all about just putting iterative cycles together. So it, just because you did all of your upfront research first does not mean that you know everything you need to know about your persona or target audience or the product that you're creating. So I feel like you often stick research phases within these sprint cycles in different yeah, you know, in different intervals, depending on what you're seeing from when you're interacting with people or how quickly you're able to ship software. Um, but that's that's kind of my perspective. Uh, and I, I'll definitely check out AJ and Smart and see what they've got going on in terms of sprint models. Yeah, everyone likes to, you know, kind of boost their own way of doing things. That's all really the same. Uh, the the This is going to sound a lot of fami- uh, familiar to a lot of people. Um, get ahead of it. And, um, you know, the best I can say is your job as a human factors practitioner or UX person in this case, uh, UX researcher, is to understand what's coming down the pipeline, not this sprint, not next sprint, but next iteration or next whatever you call it, right? It, it's different in every thing that everyone sells to you. But what's coming down the line later, that way you have time to build in that research. Um, you also have time to react to that research. You might have preliminary designs that you test uh, and they don't turn out great and that's okay. You have time to adjust before the software development piece of it gets to that. And that way, when it gets to that point, you can hand it off, you're ready to go. And they are building exactly what the user needs because you have given it to them. They don't have to futz around with um, you know, dev controls, they can just build it exactly how it's going to be. Um, and, and that's, that's a good idea. So I guess my, my advice here is get as far ahead as you can, uh, one iteration or increment or whatever they call it. Right. It, it varies by, um, by methodology, yeah. uh, but get one, um, at least one major, so I'm thinking like a three month, uh, like an initiative or whatever you want to call it. Three month cycle, right? Let's let's call it whatever whatever. Three month cycle. Get one three get three months ahead of whatever is going to be developed. And if you can know that, then I think you're good because then you can start researching the things down the line and um sort of incorporate the stuff that you did the previous month. It's like this this weird role where you're both kind of QAing the stuff that you did last month and you're researching for what's coming next month. So as long as you can keep that train going, I think that should be good and and keep three months ahead of it. You're good to go. Prioritize the stuff that's going to be done in the first three week, two week sprint, whatever, whatever you're calling that cycle. Uh, Prioritize that first, obviously, and go from there. Um, Easier said than done. I know. Uh, But, but believe me, I know, (laughs) but, but try, 
right? Try to understand the intent, get with the product owners, get with the product managers of the, of the, the product and, and see, right? I, the, that's, that's what I recommend. That's the framework. I mean, that's how, that's how you should be doing it. And, but it, I mean, it always comes down to what you can actually accomplish, but that's a really good framework to walk away from, uh, this podcast with. Yeah. Uh, speaking of this podcast, have you noticed that subtly over the last couple months, we've slowly got our runtime back up to the hour? I know. <laughs> it's kind of surprising because it just comes out of nowhere because it's not like we're doing that much more stories or that no. many more stories. I feel like we just have much more to say on these stories. Anyway, yes. that's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the stories this week. You can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us on any of our social channels at HFactors Podcast. If you want to email us we like those too that's show at humanfactorscast.com we read everything that comes through that inbox if you like what you hear you want to support the show there's a couple ways you can do that you can either leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice or consider supporting us on patreon and we will give back to you for giving to us uh, and of course you can always reach us on our home on the web uh, humanfactorscast.com i want to thank mr blake arnsdorf for being on the show today where can our listeners go and find you if they want to find out what you're cooking if you guys want to know what I'm cooking, you can always find me at Don't Panic UX across social media or ask me in Slack at, at Blake. Well, we will have to order some of the food. All right. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.